Hey, it's Jess, and welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast. It's my personal mission to guide you toward your greatest potential. So come along with me as we explore living with courage, or as I put it, living HeartStrong. Welcome to today's HeartStrong Podcast. I'm really looking forward to sitting down with Dr. Morgan Cutlip, who's a psychotherapist and relationship expert. She knows what it feels to feels like to lose herself in motherhood, and we're going to talk about that today. She's dedicated her career to helping mothers navigate all things motherhood better, and throughout her career, she has helped people worldwide learn how to form and maintain healthy relationships. She's particularly experienced in translating psychological theory and research into practical, accessible, and actionable advice, which is something that I agree with and notice just by following her on Instagram. She has her master's degree in human development and family science, and her doctorate is in counseling psychology. She's a mom to two and a wife to her high school sweetheart, which I loved. And she's on a mission to help women feel empowered in all of their relationships so they can feel whole, light, and deeply connected to those they love and to themselves. So Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So your new book is called How to Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. And so I'm just curious if you can tell us, like, why did you write this book? And what do you hope that people who read it will get out of the book? Yeah, the, bu- the book's been on my heart for a number of years. Um, I have two kids. We, ha- we have two kids. They feel like <laughs> mine, but <laughs> uh, Effie, who's 10, and Roy, who's 7. And I started the book um, when Effie was very little. So it's taken me a very long time to bring it to life. So the origins of the book goes way, way back. Um, I've worked alongside my dad for a number of years. He has his doctorate in psychology as well. And he um, he started creating like courses and educational content to help people before everybody else was doing that, kind of like cool. in those early days when um, you know there weren't many options for things like that. And so when he was doing that, I was growing up um, and um, took an interest in what he was doing from a young age. I used to actually, he got his doctorate when I was going back to school, when um, I was in elementary school and I would go to classes with him sometimes. And so as he started creating courses, I started going to conferences with him, eventually started speaking with him and all his stuff had to do with singles and dating and married couples and their relationships. And I, just developed such a love and a heart for it and started to kind of pursue that same line of work in my own academics. So sophomore year in college, which at Miami, which I love that we both went there. Um, I remember, (laughs) I remember being home once and in the car with my dad and and he, I just listened to him speak and I said, you know, someday dad, I'm going to do something to help women. I don't know if this what this looks like, but that's what I want to end up doing in my career. I thought it would be around dating. I didn't really know. Fast forward many years, married, graduated, all these things later, and our daughter Effie was born. And um, she, you know, it's funny. I I just really expected to be so 
on it in motherhood. I expected to be so good at it, know exactly what I was doing, for it to be easy for me. And it was the exact opposite. Um, I don't know if she was a hard baby or she just felt hard to me, but she's not what I expected. And she had a lot of opinions right out the gate. Um, a lot of, <laughs> she want anyone holding her but me. Um, she wasn't a great sleeper, like all the things that are normal, but felt really overwhelming at the time. And so I, when I entered into motherhood, I expected to be amazing. And I felt like I was always falling short. Uh, my husband's work had him moved across the country when she was first born, and we spent a lot of those first months apart. And so mm. it was like the accumulation of all the things, the overwhelm, the burnout, the not recognizing myself, the feeling like I was supposed to be good at this and I'm not good at this, and then the resentment and the bitterness and the mental load piling on um, because my husband wasn't around to help me. And all of this married me in early motherhood, I was buried. And it was at that moment that this book kind of started to, to birth inside of me where I said, uh, someday, I, I, I don't know the answers, but someday I'm going to come out of this sort of fog of motherhood. And um, I want to help moms navigate it differently because I know I have the skill sets. I just don't know what this looks like right now because I'm too in it myself. And so years and years later, that's um, how the book came to be. Well, it's a book I yeah. needed. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day about podcasting, and they were just talking about how we are most effective at things that we needed help with, helping others with things that we needed help with. And yeah. that's what we're really doing. Um, and, and I think all of us, at least when I read your book, I'm like, I can see myself in all of the things that you wrote about. And you know, just in the undercurrent of conversations with my sisters and friends, like we're all feeling like we all really want to be great moms. I think that's like a deep, yeah. you know, core desire of most women with children. Um, we love our kids so much. And yet, you know, it's, it's like we have this message of what a good mom is. And I think sometimes I was thinking about it last night, like maybe I make this up in my head because I'll be like, oh, a good mom would have done that. So I, I just love to talk about that idea of a quote unquote, I'm air quoting, good mom, because where do we get that idea that really puts like so much stress on us? Yeah, I think this is such an easy sort of entry point into really uncovering some very deep messaging that a lot of us as moms have absorbed throughout our entire life. And when you can sort of unearth some of these things and shine a light on them, it kind of becomes a game changer in your experience in motherhood. So um, a good mom, the, the definition of what a good mom, first of all, looks different for everybody. Everybody has a different definition. And where it comes from are different different sort of areas. So the first is our own experiences being mothered. Now, maybe you didn't have a mom. You just had a caregiver. But still you were like cared for. I'm calling it mothered. But you were cared for in some way. Mm -hmm. And these caregivers set up these sort of templates for you and who you're, who you're going to be later as a caregiver and what you think a good caregiver does and doesn't do. So first is that area of life. The second that informs our definition of what a good mom is, is um, just all the information we consume, mm -hmm. which is on hyperdrive these days with social media. So it's an evolving definition of a good mom. It's not like it's set in stone. It continues to morph and to change and to take on new life. But throughout um, all of our growing up experiences, we watched movies and shows and heard things in the, in the just conversations of life. Uh, and so that information that we bring in, it lives in us. 
all these things live in us and start to create these definitions of what a good mom looks like. The last area is um, the structures of society. So if you come from a faith background, maybe what you've learned in the church or what you've learned in the school system, what you learned at university, like all of these different structures of life send messaging around these things. And so when I talk about it, I talk about uh, we really are learning how to be and what a good mom looks like from the moment we're born as we're absorbing all of these different experiences and messaging. And it lives within us, unbeknownst to us, until we actually become a mom ourselves. And that's what's so shocking about it, is we're like, wait a second, why am I always feeling like I'm falling short? Well, part of it is because when we become a mom, all these expectations, these templates, these stories and definitions of what a good mom looks like um, come to life, and they form our expectations of ourselves so we enter into motherhood we're not aware of them they're just operating behind the scenes and we're like gosh I just don't seem to be good enough I feel like I'm never doing enough I feel like I'm always getting it wrong part of it is because we have these expectations we have not examined and we're continually falling short of them and so part of the work is bringing them to light and you can do that by saying a good mom should answer that statement over and over again a good mom should what should she look like what should she do what should her energy be like how much patience should she have what should her playroom look like does she have a playroom what should her house look like all of these things are expectations that are operating in the background and coming out as ways that we judge ourselves and and usually some pretty extreme standards that we hold ourselves to and this robs our joy in motherhood and it takes up our energy so if you if you asked yourself that question and answered it with a pretty idealistic answer, would that you could examine that and say to yourself, "There's no way I could ever, no one, anyone mm-hmm. could could live that out." Is that why you think it's important to ask those questions so you can really get clear about maybe how extreme some of our ideas actually are? Yeah. So the idea is is that when you can define these sort of invisible experiences or things that are kind of judging you in the background, then you can actually do something about it. It's when we don't have the language and the framework around stuff that it just like we're held hostage to it. So when you can define it, you can decide, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to change these and I'm going to actually live up to my expectations. I'm going to bust my butt and I'm going to meet them or I'm going to revise them or I'm going to completely ditch these. Like these are not realistic for the constraints of my life. And so I have to change them. And so you then are presented with all these choices. So I'll give you an example. Um, So my mom was adopted from birth and um, she was adopted by a woman who, a a couple, but the mom, I'm just talking about mothers for the Mm -hmm. moment. So her mom was um, like somebody who volunteered a lot in the community, was always sort of caretaking for people and really showing up in a big way, but, but did none of that at home. Almost like everyone else needs me, but I'm not going to give any of that same skill set to my own daughter so she was given up by her birth mom and then in many ways kind of neglected by her adopted adoptive mother and um so she took her I say that she she took her pain and it became my sister's and my gain because she was like all right 
When I'm a mom, I'm going to do it totally the opposite of what I experienced. So my mom was, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So she was like the stereotypical super mom. Like she was on the, the president of the board of education, which is an elected position, which is absolutely bananas. Like that's how involved she was. She wow. was the uh, room mom of every class. She coached all of the sports. She was there for everything. Our birthday parties were insane and this is before pinterest it was a lot and so when i went into motherhood i was like man why do i feel like i cannot do enough even when i do something really well i'm like it's not good enough not good enough and part of it is is that i took that template of that's a good mom and i put it on my own experience and while she was a great mom and i'm so blessed to have had that experience it didn't work for me as a mother And it was actually hurting me as a mother because I hadn't examined these expectations. And so I had to look at things like uh, my husband travels every week for work. My mom had a partner every single night home with her. I'm doing a lot on my own. I got to dial down my expectations a little bit. Uh, My mom didn't work. I work part-time from home. So I'm like still like there all the time. But, you know, it's like, but also I'm juggling a little bit there's a little bit more on my plate and the lines of home and work start to blur and that's different than what my mom had. And so I had to adjust my expectations to match the reality of my life. And I think a lot of us need to do that. What I think is what struck me about your mom's story is that, you know, I wonder sometimes if the pain in our lives or in our experiences sort of actually elevate that standard of what we think we should have should do as moms, right? I, I mean, I think my mom is similar. Like she wanted to mother differently than her mom did. Like I think she very consciously did that. And I think that's sometimes a gain. And then sometimes it just like ups the ante, like you said, to that point where, <laughs> you know, you're like, I can't hold all of these things. And so I think that's just interesting. If you look at somebody who has had pain in their childhood, and then they have these expectations of themselves that maybe they can or can't meet. I guess I had never thought of that as a probably potential pretty significant influence in the way that people might Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, people respond to their hardship and their pain differently. And so some people kind of rebel against it, like my mom did. Like, I will not be... I will not um, succumb to my to this type of pain in, in the way that, that I mother. I think my mom has other like sort of things that she's had to battle because of her pain. So it's not been like a universal experience. But um, other times we repeat our pain. And I think this is another reason why it becomes, you know, we just sort of carry it forward into our our relationships. And I think this is part of the reason why it's important, whether it's expectations or it's just other types of insight. It's important to uncover some of these things because if you don't examine them, if you don't understand them, if you don't define them, you're likely going to mindlessly repeat them. And part of the work is bringing them into the light so that you actually have a conscious choice about what you do with these things. So I want to take my pain and learn from it and become rise above it. I want to take my pain and just sploosh it on over the next generation right so part of our work is bringing these things to light so we can be empowered with how we handle them yeah I think that that I guess I you know I think about becoming a mom like I never thought about those things when I was becoming a mom and I think that that's such a Mm -mm. 
insightful and is such a good opportunity for women now to think consciously about these things instead of being like, why do I feel this way? Why am I, you know, why am I struggling to regulate my emotions right now? Why do I, you know, I think that those yeah. are, those are really important questions. And they, they may make me think about identity. And I know you talked about like three conflicts in your book that all moms face. And I kind of wanted to focus on the sacrificing mm-hmm. our identity, because I think that's a big one. Um, like my needs yeah. versus everyone else's needs. Can you talk about that and what you've learned by observing mothers and in your work, like how significant or important that idea of identity is? Yeah. So, um, this is in the first chapter, which is called we mom so hard. And it outlines three reasons, um, that I think every mom experiences in different degrees, but that really um, create some feelings of hardship in motherhood. Again, there's this theme that I have in my book, which is like when you can define it, you dominate it. So, mm-hmm. so um, it's another area of definition for mom. So, like let's let's put it on the table. Why does mom motherhood feel hard sometimes? And so, identity is the first, and the conflict is my needs versus the needs of everyone and everything else. And this one is like, oh man, this one's huge actually. And I feel like it's sort of, it's like a tale as old as time for women that we have been socialized in many different ways to self-sacrifice for the preservation of our relationships. That it's our duty as women to put our relationships above our own wellness and, and care. And, um, The thing is, is that this is an experience, I think, for most all women. But then when you become a mother, sort of like turns up the dial on this. Mm -hmm. So it goes from like, yeah, I got this messaging to now like now it's mandatory. Like when you're a mom, like welcome to martyrdom. Like this is part of the package. If you're a good mom, it feels hard because you are selfless and give everything up and everybody else comes first, especially your kids. And I don't disagree with some of these things. I'm not saying, I just don't think it needs to be so extreme. So, um, what often happens, I'll say this in early motherhood, you kind of have to do this. Like that's the other catch It's like motherhood turns up the dial. And then also, uh, in motherhood early on, when you have a baby, you, you sort of have to, you know, put, put your needs on the back burner because you got to get up in the middle of the night and you got to do all the things to keep this child, you know, well, and, and to raise them. And so, and then add in, if you have kids with special needs or disabilities, like crank up the dial a little bit more. And so what I see in my community of moms and what I've read about when I look at research and other um, works and books on the same similar topic um, is that what happens for moms is that they get sort of stuck in that mode. Mm-hmm. So they've socialized that, you know, to put their needs last most of their life to become a mom, you turn up the dial you have to do it in the beginning to take care of your kids, but then you get stuck there. Mm-hmm. Fast forward three years, five years, seven years, and mm-hmm. you get to a place where a mom will be like, I don't actually even know what I need. Like, I have a moment alone. I don't know how to spend it. I don't even know what I need to feel better. Like, where do I begin? It feels like such a massive deficit 
that it's hard to really define what we need. And so this is what I see as problematic for women and for moms is that when you get to that point, um, you're usually also showing other signs and symptoms in your relationships, like feeling resentful, feeling um, kind of bitter, maybe being a little grumpy and irritable. And then a lot of times, too, you're like physically experiencing burnout and drain and maybe autoimmune symptoms who knows like it's all these things start developing when we exist in that state for too long and so part of what I help you know moms try to do in the book is to start to get back in touch with what they need and to recognize the answer isn't your needs first because it goes back to what you were saying before which is like we really want to be good moms we don't want to lose we don't want to abandon our kids in order to care for ourselves so um it doesn't need to be you first it just needs to be that moms actually start getting a turn moms are factored in ourselves are are part of the needs of everyone and everything that we're meeting not the ones that get you know our first to go Hey, we're taking a little break because I want to invite you to learn more about the HeartStrong Collective, a nonprofit and social movement I created in 2015. This organization is on a mission to inspire people everywhere to be HeartStrong, and we're giving back to support families in the long haul of raising kids with complex illnesses and disabilities. We're also investing in the next generation, and we're trying to leave this place just a little better than we found it. You can learn more about us at theheartstrong.com. Oh, and while you're there, make sure you visit our shop and check out our HeartStrong merch. If you'd like to learn more about me, my coaching practice, or invite me to speak at your next event, you can visit me at jessicalindberg.com. Let's get back to the show. You know, my boys are, are, my oldest is 15, almost 15, and then I have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, and you know, my 11 year old loves me to do everything for him and with him still, you know, and I think that's like, that I think that's a a byproduct of COVID, frankly, of being home and with mom and going through homework and all of that. But, you know, and he's such a sweet kid. And he's such, you know, he loves his mama so much. And, and, but I've learned as, as he's gotten older that I'm like, okay, well, his name is Chase. I'm like, okay, Chase, well, tonight mom has these five things that I need to do before I go to bed. So if you have something you need help with, we need to do it before six o'clock, you know? And it, so it's like, but it's, yes. but my, my default for years was whatever he needs. I'll just like, and then I'm up till 11 o'clock doing my thing. And then I'm tired. Yes. just, so it's not that it's teaching them. I think too, that we, like you said, we get a turn. And so we have to, everyone gets, to, gets a, gets a place in the family. Yes. But I felt guilty when I started doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think I get it because guilt is such a big factor in motherhood. And I think guilt is one of the mechanisms that keeps us in line, sort Mm -hmm. of. Like it's, it's, it, you know, there's lots of ways that guilt shows up. But I think one of the the reasons it shows up is because we have had all of these messages socialized and we have this definition of a good mom. And so when we are violating this definition, that's not probably realistic um the guilt is like get back in line jessica what do you think you're doing taking care of yourself and so it sort of keeps our behaviors locked in place and so it becomes really important to challenge the guilt but you bring up an important piece which is that when we start to take a turn when we start to do some of these things we maybe set some like different guidelines or boundaries i have a son who is like my shadow too he won't do anything without me and i've had to do similar thing but when we set these boundaries, it is um, modeling 
um, really important skills to our kids. And also the other side of it is like teaches them to, to figure things out, to be self-sufficient, which is, you know, one of our goals uh, as parents too. And one of our primary goals, which is how are we going to raise kids that can um, function on their own someday? And so uh, these things become really important tools. And so there's, there are multiple benefits to you being like, get it in by six, buddy, <laughs> or mm-hmm. else it's not, it's not going to happen. Like happen. you need it to. And then, you know, not to mention you finally get a good night's sleep, hopefully. Yeah, but. exactly. Which we all need. You know, you might, you bring up an interesting point yeah. about mothers getting stuck, but then you also talked about how like a really, our goal is to raise whole healthy humans who are in this world doing great things and contributing. And, you know, I have a, a neighbor and a friend who has gone through cancer and we have some of our kids are similar mm-hmm. ages, but she, and we're the same age. So it hits home for me watching her. And, but she's like, I wanted to get my girls to a place who that are, and her oldest is, is quite a bit older than my kiddos, but like to a place where she could be self-sufficient in case I wasn't there. And I thought to myself, like, that was really hard for me to hear her say that, that she was consciously thinking about how do I, what do I want to teach them? What do I want them? How do I, how do I want them to be responsible? How do I want them to teach them about money and buying things and, and, and self-responsibility? But what I've really gotten from that is that I do think sometimes we get stuck in this caregiving role because it feels good to be needed and, and, and for our kids That's to nice. give us that love. But the goal isn't for that to be sustained, you know, for their lifetime. And so I've learned from her to sort of shift that a little bit and say, how can I help them, you know, sort of grow so that they don't need me someday, which sounds hard to say as a mom, right? It's so hard. But even if you take that same principle that your friend is wisely talking about and you just dial it back a little bit, it's like, well, when I, if they're at school, mm-hmm. do I want them to know how to function without me? You know, I were riding to school this morning and um, our daughter is having some like issues with how a girl in class is talking to her. She's like, she's very rude and kind of condescending. And so we're like plant, you know, discussing and equipping her to how to set a boundary around this and how to mention it to her. And it's like, you know, not just for when we're gone and dead, but like, how do they, how do they function when we're not right next to them to hold their hand? And how do they handle, you know, how do they make good decisions or do the right thing when nobody's watching? How do they solve a problem when we can't be there to give them the answers? And I think all these things become really important for us and also can reassure us when we are taking our turns because uh, sometimes we do need to recognize that we got to step out of that caregiver place and instead of doing for them we need to like come alongside and equip them to do it on their own and I just remember this like light bulb moment at one point where I was like oh the kids can get their own snacks. Like, why am I a butler to our children? Like, I'm a, you know, I'm like a short order cook always. Yeah. And so, you know, getting to a place where it's like, okay, no, that's okay for me to say, if you want something here, you got it. You know where we keep our stuff, you know? And so it's it's important for us to really, I think, feel okay about turning over more responsibility to our kids. Um, 
I talk about in the book Good Enough Mothering, which is a very old concept by um, D.W. Winnicott. But the basic idea is very simple, which is that in the beginning, our, jo- our job, air quotes, as, for, as moms, is to meet our kids' every need, like all the needs, because they're little and they need it. And then gradually over time, start meeting them less and less so that they learn how to take care of it themselves. So it's that coming alongside instead of doing for. And he said that's how you prepare kids to exist in a world that is hard and painful sometimes and disappointing and challenging and all the stuff that we know it to be. Um, And that's how we equip them, not by taking care of every little thing. Well, that's interesting too because it also means that at some point – you know, I have some friends whose kiddos are getting ready to graduate high school and, and move on, and some of them have said, well, gosh, what am I going to do with myself? So that concept mm-hmm. is there, too. It's like you slowly do, we slowly do have to sort of push them a little bit, right? And then that, in turn, gives us a little bit mm-hmm. more of our, of our freedom. I want to – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just like you're just highlighting how interconnected our relationships are. It's like it's hard to talk about, which is like why when I wrote the book, I wanted to talk about how it applies to kids and then how it applies to ourselves, because it all goes together. As you teach your kids how to be more independent, it requires you as a mom to have more to do in your life than just care for your kids, right? And um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a beautiful thing. I love being a mom. But also it expands our our world a little bit when it's not all about our kids so that when they leave, we aren't like, who are we? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or we're not, I know moms whose kids are older and they're sort of resentful of the life their kids have. And I think that comes from a place of, you know, I've given you everything and now you've left me. It feels like an abandonment. And so, you know, in the, in the end, like what we all want is a really strong and connected relationship to our kids. And that does require that we have a sense of identity ourselves. Mm-hmm. You talk in the book about mothering yourself like you mother your kids. And I'm wondering if you can share what that means to you and maybe just give a couple like ta- like practical examples for moms listening that they could employ in their own daily life. Yeah, so that's really the crux of my book, which is um, this idea that moms are already the master managers of all the people and all the things, but we don't really turn that same skill set very well toward ourselves. And so I try to teach moms how to do that. And what that means is, is that we manage our relationship with ourself like we manage our relationship with our kids. So my book's not super prescriptive. It gives practical tools, but it's more like you need to know what works for you. And here's some frameworks to figure that out. Um, But, you know, as moms, we're so good at managing the relationship with our kids. And um, this is just something that's like we're kind of baffled when it comes to doing it for ourselves. So this is like a very simple everyday example to just explain what I'm saying so not that long ago our kids were fighting like absolutely just like banshees I could not I was like what is happening here they're at each other's throats and so what did I do took a minute I thought about it I was like what is going on with them oh we've barely had any social time with other kids lately we've just been together like too much togetherness like they have play with each other so much like it's just too much and so what do they need okay 
they need some time with friends. Okay, what can I do about that? Oh, I'll set up a play date today. We'll meet up at the beach with their friends and we'll spend the whole day at the beach with them. That'll meet their needs, all the things. So what did I do? I know this is like, we do this automatically for our kids. I know them well. I checked in. I thought about what I know about them. I thought about what they need. So I intuited their needs. Um, And then I took steps to meet the need, which is we're going to set up a play date. We're going to do the things. So we do this for our kids all of the time automatically. But like, have you actually done that? for you. So my example of that day was, um, a lot of times I've noticed in myself that when I will spend an entire day devoted to pouring into the kids, when I get to the end of the day and they complain about something or I say no to something and then they're like, "Uh," you know, kind of have that reaction. I get kind of mad because I'm like, I gave you, you know, you want to do the thing where you're like, I did everything for you today. How dare you? Like, (laughs) cause you, cause you have. And so I was like, okay, because you have. I, okay, I don't want to deplete myself so much today that I'm resentful of it at the end of the day when I have less energy. So what am I going to do? Before we go to the beach, I'm going to say, kids, you guys can get dressed on your own. Pack up the beach stuff, and then I'll double check it. So do your best. I'm going to go, and for me that day, it can be lots of things. For me that day, was I'm going to go lift weights because that helps me discharge some of my like intensity. So I'm going to go lift weights for 20 minutes, and then we're hitting the road and it's all day with your friends. So I did what I did for them. I did it for me. I know myself. I know I get resentful when I give it all day and then they complain. So I'm going to front load a little bit of care for me and meet that need. And so I think that's, you know, in the end, that's what I'm hoping moms learn how to do. There's all sorts of practical ways of, of actually meeting your needs, of looking for um, energy drains and managing our energy better. There's all sorts of practical ways to do these things. Mm -hmm. But the idea is, is that we get good at checking in on ourselves, doing like a little bit of an assessment and filling in the gaps where we can given the constraints on our day. And sometimes, sometimes it means just defining what's going on with us and coming back to it later. And sometimes we can meet the need right away, which is what I did that day. Well, you talked a little bit in your book about self-care, about maybe like the need to like redefine that a little bit, or there's just so much out about, you know, self-care and what that means. And I think what, I guess to me, what you just said about like taking 20 minutes to lift weights, I'm the same way. That helps calm me. If I lift weights, it kind of just mm-hmm. centers me in, in my body, um, even like removes anxiety for me. Um, like that to me is self-care, right? It's like not necessarily like a day to go and like, get your nails done. I mean, it could be, but it doesn't have to be something so extreme. Like, could it just be something in our day that we do? Like sometimes for me, it's like getting up 30 minutes before I know my kids are going to get up so I can have some quiet time. Cause I don't like waking up and having the house be like, ah, you know, I want to have like a moment. Yes. Um, like right into it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, could you talk a little bit about that idea? Cause I think people get confused. Yeah. So self-care. So I always have like kind of these beefs with it um and um so here are my beefs and I'll tell you what I think it is so I I feel like self-care is usually presented to moms specifically as these lists of things to do like drink a little more water go for a walk like put on an you know I don't know get your nails done take a bath um 
And I just feel like we don't need more lists of things to do because a lot of us already can't get to all the things on our list. And so if we don't get to things on our list, we feel like we're falling short. And so do we really need just this laundry list of ideas? Um, The second reason why I get a little bit bugged by self-care is because it assumes that moms are comfortable asking for the time, the space, and the resources to accomplish whatever it is on the list. And there are a lot of moms that feel guilty about it or have a hard time defining what they need or what will move the needle. And so you sort of have to deal with some of these deeper things. And then the third is self-care is almost always about our physical bodies, which, you know, that was my example, um, which is a really like powerful intervention is to do something for our physical bodies. But there's other parts of ourselves that we can care for that actually make a pretty meaningful difference. So I think self-care has to be expanded into our entire relationship with ourself not just with our physical body but our emotional self our mental self and so uh, I talk about other ways of caring for ourselves that I don't typically see talked about in that same way Um, so one example is the way that we think about ourselves you know as moms we every moment to moment are sort of like I'm trying not to get too in the weeds on it, but we're, we're sketching a picture of ourselves and how we show up in our relationships. It's sort of like this caricature that we carry around in our head of like, what do we think we are as a mom? Mm-hmm. And um, we highlight certain things and we minimize others. And so in those moments where we're dropping a ball or, you know, we realize we forgot to send a permission slip to school for the kids or, you know, whatever, something we misstepped, how do we sketch that picture of ourselves in that moment. What are we highlighting and drawing attention to and focusing on? This impacts the way we talk to ourselves, the way we think about ourselves, the way we feel about ourselves. And ultimately what it does is drain our energy, which makes it harder for us to kind of get through the day and regulate our emotions and all of the things. And so like a very quick intervention is checking in on that picture and shifting where your focus is being like, I can focus in on this one way I fell short, or I can shift and focus in on all of the ways that I regularly get it right with our kids and bless them. And so um, there's there's more to it, I think, than just the bubble baths and pedicures. <laughs> you even mentioned a mantra in the book, you know, just coming up with a mantra, which I thought was really great, too, because it's just like a reminder, you know, I... I show up most of the time for my kids. I'm doing a great job, whatever it is for you, you know, and, and having something Mm -hmm. like that. So when there are those moments, like it was my son's birthday the other day and I've two nights in a row meant to go to the grocery store and get the little cups of ice cream, but I keep forgetting if something else comes up. And so this morning I'm like, oh my gosh, the teacher's going to be like, it's another day. The ice cream didn't show up, you know, or I could say, you know, you know, these are the, like the little things, right? The teacher doesn't care. She's fine. if It comes on Thursday. Right. But you know, we do these things. And so it's like, okay, but you know what, you're showing up for other things and you know, 90% of the time you're doing a great job. And, And I think that's, I really like that because it's something that I don't do a good job of. And I think, um, I'm assuming a lot of moms don't, that are listening too. Yeah. Like we can do that deeper work, but then in the heat of the moment, we tend to, um, as humans, we tend to just go back to our defaults. Mm -hmm. So if it's like, oh, I did all this work and I am changing this sort of story I'm telling, you know, about myself, 
Um, but then we get in the heat of the moment. We're right back in our old storyline. The mantra helps to center us when we don't have the time to do all the deep work over again. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my mantra. I'm going to focus in on that instead of this old storyline that's not, not working for me anymore. So it, be, it does become a powerful intervention in those moments. Yeah. Because our brains can get stuck, right? I mean, they get stuck in lots of things. Yeah. It sort of breaks that, um, which I think is really, really key. So I want to talk, I think, I think yes. it's hard to talk about motherhood all the time without talking about partners or spouses because there's such a big <laughs> part of that. And mm-hmm. you, know, you talk about expressing needs or you talk about, you know, mothering yourself. And you're right, it is such an interconnected web of people that are in a family and that have needs. And I do think it is the default of, of moms to say, well, I'll go buy, like, I'll go buy my kid those great basketball shoes, but I'd never buy them for myself. You know, we, we do things like that. Yeah. And then we get in, we have spouses who have jobs and their own things. And so... And you do such a great job of this on Instagram. So if you're listening and you don't follow Morgan on Instagram, you need to follow her there because she gives really practical ideas about relationships and about talking through these things. And I'm wondering if you can just share maybe, you know, an idea for a mom listening who's like, I have these needs. I have a hard time expressing them to my partner. I'm not sure what to to do next in order to sort of be able to mom myself. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is one of the most challenging pieces um, for for people in general, but especially women. And um, I think something that happens a lot that I see, I've experienced, and I hear about is that when we finally muster up the courage to express our needs, our partners a lot of times can respond in ways that shut us down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call it one of the most common responses is the deficit default. That's what I, I just made that up. But um, which is... When you say, oh, do you think you could do this for me? And then the response is, I'm just like, this is the extreme response. I guess I'm just the worst. Like, I never get this right. I don't know. It's too much for you. I don't know. I, Like, I've tried, and I guess I can't do it. Like, they go to this sort of, like, spiral of shame um, mm-hmm. that makes it really hard to really – it's like, gosh, now oh, I said my need and now I'm going to spend the rest of this conversation building you back up, mm-hmm. you know, and like making you feel good when I came to you because I was hurting or needing something. And so it becomes really tricky. So there's a lot. Um, actually have two guides all about defining your needs and expressing them in relationships and kind of working through some of these hangups. But I think one thing that's really helpful is to get very clear about what you need before you express it to your partner. So I'll give an example of how to do this. But what I find that happens a lot is we'll come to our partners and we'll say something like, I just need like more connection or I just need more like romance or something. Like it just feels like we're just two ships crossing in the night. You know, like we kind of talk in these like abstract sort of ways of like, I just need to feel loved and we're like what and so I think sometimes you know your part depending on how our partners respond they might be like okay all right and then we're mad because nothing changes because what does that actually mean if you're like I need more connection what are you wanting to happen and so one of the most important things you can do when you express a need is get very clear about it and one of the best ways to do that is to think about if there was a video camera on the wall recording exactly what would take place when you got that need met 
what happened. Mm. Then play back the tape to your partner. I feel disconnected from you. And what I'm really wanting is for you to invite me once a week on a date. I'll set up the childcare. I just want you to ask me. And, and then we can plan it together. or Whatever that looks like. But get super specific about how you want that need met. And I know... There's always like a push. I always in my head have like these two sides of of because I guess when you create content long enough, you start to get <laughs> you start to hear everybody's opinion of it. Um, one of the pushbacks is like, so I got to tell him what to do, and then it doesn't mean as much to me. And it's like, oh, um, you know, I feel like we've forever believed the old advice about relationships that people aren't mind readers and so we need to like remember that Mm -hmm. and that if we have a specific way we want a need met or a vision of what that looks like and feels like it's our responsibility to share that with our partner or else we're just kind of setting them up for failure and so um, that's one of the best ways you can do it is get real specific. I think that's really such a good suggestion because I know that you know conflict between my husband and I has looked similar to that where it's like I want him to know what's needed like it, you know at the deepest it's like you uh-huh. want to be like uh-huh. he's like let he, you know he and my husband is great he'll help me with anything I need but it's like instead of me saying I need you to do the dishes tonight and go pick the kids up and make sure the laundry's in I want him to know because you know this kind of gets to mental load which I wanted to touch on because we're carrying mm-hmm. this as mothers often and families that all the things that need to be done and then the other person isn't really thinking about all the need all the things and sometimes it feels like well it's they get the they get the easy way out because we'll just tell them they don't actually have mm-hmm. to carry that in their mind and I know that that's something that you've mm-hmm. been talking about a bit on Instagram is just mental load and I'm wondering if you could just touch on that a little bit um, because there, it is true. We have default parents. Oftentimes those are mothers and women and families, and that is a lot to mm-hmm. carry. Um, and I think there's also a lot of men out there who do want to be great partners and, and dads and they want mm-hmm. it, you know, the, the desire is to do a great job and we're, we're built differently. And, and so how would you kind of bridge that gap, I guess, between people? Yeah, this is a big question because, um, like my brain goes to all the different nuances mm-hmm. in relationships and, and the willingness of each partner to do certain things. And so um, there's a lot to say about it. I will say this. I have a free guide um, about how to talk to your partner about the mental load. And then it talks about like if you run into certain hangups, how do you navigate these hangups? And so I would encourage – it comes in um, digital and audio so you can just listen to it. I would encourage people to check that out for like a more – complete answer so I'm trying to think so how you talk to your partner or how you get them involved I think one of the things is a lot of times we struggle to define the mental load to our partners so it's like part of it is like first they have to understand what it is mm-hmm. because I think it's funny, I'm collecting research and I keep peeking. I haven't done a full analysis, but I keep peeking at it. And it's interesting because when we think about the mental load, a lot of times we think, oh, we just want our partners to do more. And I do think this is true, right? We all want more help and more initiative taking. But I think another thing that we often want, and it's like neck and neck for what, what women want the most, is to be appreciated and validated and seen. And so part of that is, um, so like you don't need to do more necessarily, but like appreciate what I'm doing and understand it. And so part of it is talking about it and describing it 
And I have all sorts of ways of doing that that I outline in that guide. Um, and so I'll just right now define what the mental load is and so that anybody listening can kind of use these key features to talk about it with their partner. And also when you talk about it as the mental load is this external force that we're up against. Not it's like mm. we're against each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, this, it's a thing that exists in family life that we both have to navigate through. Mm-hmm. So a couple of features of the mental load. The mental load is, if you want to define it, it's an ongoing running to-do list that, ex- that exists inside usually the woman's head. Um, here are the features. One, it's almost always invisible. So it's really hard to articulate it to our partners because it's hard to articulate all the things that are invisible. And so I'll give you a way to explain that. The second is that it takes up cognitive capacity. So it takes up space in our brains and we're only able to sort of hold so much at any given point in time. And so it will start to crowd other things out like being in the mood to have sex. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the first to go. There's research that talks about it. Um, so if, if that's an incentive to your partner, <laughs> uh, that's a good approach to take. Is like our brain is a really important sex organ. It's the most important, in fact. And so if I don't have the space to think about these things because it's overrun with other things, um, it's harder for me to get in the mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also can make it harder to like be regulated and pleasant because you are overwhelmed with all of these things that you're carrying in your mind and so it starts to shift the tone of the relationship in a way that doesn't feel good usually to both partners and so we have invisibility cognitive capacity and then the other thing is is that the tasks are usually repetitive so um, a lot of the mental load is things like researching and the emotional labor and all these things but also just like the tasks of the mental load, like they're never ending. It's like you finish the laundry and then there's more to be done. So this is important for your partner to understand because it's like there's not that experience of satisfaction of a job completed, tied up with a pretty bow and put away. It's like as soon as I finish, it keeps coming at me. You know, it's like drinking from a fire hose always. And so I think describing some of these features can be really helpful. One of the ways that I talk about the invisibility piece is, um, and this came to me one day when I was in my pantry, and I was like, oh, my gosh, look at all this stuff that my husband has never even touched. Mm -hmm. And like, he's probably come in here and grabbed the chips and the peanut butter. But otherwise, every single item in this pantry has been thought of by me, purchased by me, put away by me, organized by me. And then I started to look around the house and it was like everything suddenly became this visual representation of the mental load. And so if you grabbed something in your home and you're like, let me explain to you what this means. Um, For me, I've written about this before. Um, It's our daughter's leggings. Let me explain to you these like the story. Let me tell you the story of the leggings. Her daughter has sensitivity issues with her skin, with her clothes. And so I have bought leggings from around 30 different stores (laughs) I have tried different types so it's not just these leggings that exist in our home it is me researching and shopping for them and buying them and um, trying them on with her and managing my frustration when yet another pair doesn't feel good and putting them back in dropping them off at the post office to get our money back buying another pair when we finally find it finding them buying all of those leggings in the universe that exist so I never run out of them and washing them and putting them in her drawers and or you know there's a story behind everything that encapsulates 
the mental work, the physical work, the thought work that goes into stuff. And that is a really nice way of bringing it to life mm -hmm. for our partners. So I've gone on so long, I don't remember the rest of the question. No, but that's, I, think that's, that's <laughs> really good. I like how you define that. It's funny. I actually thought the same thing looking in my pantry the other day. I was like, do people even know what's in here? And do they even know, you know, and I think about that when I go to the grocery store, it's like you put it in the cart and then you put it on the thing and then you pay for it and then you bring it home. And it's just, it is that, that, that yeah. work, that, that physical, you know, action that we also carry in our brain. So I love the way that you defined that, you know, yeah. as we get and the meal planning and the recipes. Yes. <laughs> what things. are we going to have for dinner? Oh, it, it just yes. keeps thinking oh, of what that is, you know, every, every night mm -hmm. and then people asking you, and then you actually have to prepare it. And then maybe somebody doesn't like that. And so there's something else. And, and it's just, you know, I heard somebody say that they asked their partner to do or their husband to do one meal a week. Like that's their job, whether they get it from they order out or they do whatever. I'm like that, you know, that's a, that's a tangible good mm -hmm. idea. If that's something for you, that's really mm -hmm. frustrating. Like that's great too, you know? So I think it's just giving women permission and then also ideas and how they can do that. But I love, I love that example. I want to talk a little bit about caregiving moms. Um, I know you didn't address that in the book and you know, it's something mm -hmm. that I'm a caregiving mom for 18 years. I've had one mm -hmm. child in my house with a pretty significant illness. And while my experiences may be somewhat extreme, there's a lot of women who are in a caregiving role. There's even women who are caring, giving for their parents and, you know, as they age. And I actually always hate the word caregiving, to be honest with you. I wish we could come up with a different word mm -hmm. because it just implies mm -hmm. constant output, constant giving. And then I think you add to that, you know, I mentioned this to you before we got on the, on the podcast, just that we also then have systems that we have to be involved in school systems, healthcare systems, you know, all these things which are really not set up to, support the person in that role. And so you kind of find yourself sort of in this thing where it's this, you're in this never ending spin of caregiving. And I think the things you talked about in this book, at least from my experience, when I read that, I'm like, yes. And it's like on steroids with mothers who yes. are caregiving. Yeah. And, and so there really isn't an answer to change it because you are in the place that you're in. I know I've had to shift some mental the ways that I think about things in my life, and I've learned a lot in, in enable to, to enable me to keep going in the role that I'm in. But I'm wondering um, if you can just shed a little bit of light on moms who are in a role of caregiving, and you know, maybe even if it's just giving them permission to take care of themselves, or you know, a suggestion of how um, they might show up in the world in a way that um, honors who they are as women too. Yeah. I feel like I almost feel like I'm like, am I allowed to say these things? Like I almost feel like because it's not been my experience, it almost feels like it's mm -hmm. wrong to speak to these things or something. Um, and like you could speak to them better than me, but I having loved ones who are in these positions um, and might find myself in one of these positions someday, um, especially with parents, you know, most of us will find ourselves in having to care for somebody. Um, it is exactly what you said. It's taking these, um, this tendency or even this like obligation um, or necessity to pour into the ones we're caring for it's taking it and it's just turning up the dial so intensely 
that it's really easy to completely get swallowed up by it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the same sort of principles apply as I talk about in just motherhood in, in the most just like typical path of motherhood. It, the same principles apply, which is that if those demands of you are going to be so intense, you're going to have to maybe not meet them, but you're going to have to up the level of care and nurturing you pour into yourself so that you can sustain your energy and your efforts for those that you love. And I, I, I hate the idea of like we only pour into us to, to just pour into others, but I think of it more as like what I was saying before that our relationships are sort of all interconnected. So if you pour everything for the sake of into someone else for the sake of them, you're likely going to end up super depleted and weary mm-hmm. and get to a place where you actually can't help them at all because yeah. or you're going to be helping them but you're going to be so frustrated and angry and feel chipped, gypped and victimized that it's like you can't even feel good about the person you are in that relationship and that is hurtful to you and so it just becomes that much more important to do the things to care for yourself to expand your definition maybe of community which becomes really hard mm-hmm. I think in those situations to um, expand the people and the resources um, you have at your disposal people to talk to and to lean on and to confide in um, and um Think about, I know every situation looks different, but something I think that can be helpful too is like a practical sense is um, how are there opportunities to meet both your needs and the person's need that you're caring for at the same time? And I know sometimes this isn't possible, but there are ways of doing that. And so you're not neglecting anybody or abandoning anybody, but can you find creative ways of like both our needs are getting met right now at the same time? And so um, that can feel really good to caregivers as well. Mm-hmm. I can give a quick example of that in my own life. I'm not a big TV watcher. I kind of think watching TV is kind of a waste of time. I just rather would rather do something else. But my son, my son Bodie, who has muscular dystrophy, he loves to snuggle after school and wants to sit. And I'm like, oh, I have so many things to do. But what I've just kind of embraced it and I'll like find a movie on Netflix and I'll start watching it. And it's kind of like I've kind of started to enjoy it because it's me taking it, you know, my strive herself yeah. down a couple notches. He loves, you know, the snuggling. It is so nice to hold him. And I get to like watch a movie that I never would watch. And so over a couple of days, like I'll finish a movie and I'm like, oh, I really liked that. And so that's just a little example of how I've tried to do that in my life. Would I rather be doing something else or are there a million other things that need to be done in my home or in my work? Yes. But it's like also recognizing sort of the gift of the moment and just enjoying something just because. I love that so okay let me analyze it okay because it's like what you said is really powerful and these are just day-to-day regular Mm -hmm. things that sometimes we can easily breeze past so you are getting the benefit because you are probably down regulating you're calming yourself down you're sitting there the touch of snuggling with your son is actually really beneficial for you and helping to co-regulate and to, to help you sort of just have that slowness um and then for him I guarantee you this is probably like a memory he'll hold on to 
forever. Mm -hmm. And so as you're sitting there with him, you're creating this bonding moment with him, which feels good for you because you're like, I'm doing something good for my son. And you're also watching something that's an interesting thing to him probably. I bet you're not necessarily picking the movie. And so you're getting in his world. You're getting to know him in new ways. It's opening up opportunity for things to talk about, common ground. Like the, the benefits of that little snapshot of a moment where both your needs are getting met are huge are so big and so um I'm just saying that back to you because like, I hope that it like in those moments it feels really good and also to highlight that sometimes the ways that we care for ourselves might look like something that's an everyday moment but it has such a meaningful impact on both people involved mm-hmm. yeah no I never really thought about that till you said it so I think that those are yeah there are little things that we can do and it's a, it's a perspective shift. I think that's the other thing that I would say too, mm-hmm. just this, the topic of caregiving, it's it's sometimes a perspective shift on the way that we think about our days sure. or about ourselves. And that's something that I've had to work hard on and um, has been beneficial to me. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the HeartStrong podcast is all about like, what we create in the world because of the challenges that we faced. And that's something that I'm always mm-hmm. deeply curious about myself. And so I'm wondering kind of, as we start to close up the podcast, if you would share with us something that you just really like about yourself as Dr. Morgan, um, because of the challenges that you have encountered in your life and motherhood, um, like what's more beautiful about you because of them? Mm, that's a really nice question. So um, something I really like about me is I feel like I have a really grounded, how do I explain it? I am aware of the preciousness of life and I can almost feel like sentimental in the moment, like this awareness of um, being present, of not losing a moment, of really soaking things up. And um, part of it is because when I was in high school, my sophomore year in high school, um, I almost died. I came down with a freak illness. They still don't know what caused it. Um, it ended up turning into adult respiratory, no, acute respiratory distress syndrome. Oh, wow. And I spent, you know, I was intubated and put in a medically induced coma and spent a couple months in the hospital. And I came out and um, I, you know, I was in bed for all that time. And so I had to learn how to walk again and, um, my strength back because I didn't hardly weigh anything when I got out. That weight comes back fast, though, I'll tell you that much. Was like, that was disappointing. Um, but I think that having that experience as at a young age makes you so aware of how fleeting life can be and how important um, really soaking in the people we love is. And so um, that's something I've never really like lost since that experience and I like about me I like that too and no one's ever said that before so I love the answer well Dr. Morgan thank (laughs) you so much for your time today and for sharing this with us I think your work is really really important and so before we close can you tell people where they can find you and also where they can find those resources that you mentioned during the podcast Sure. So pretty much everything you can find on my website, which is drmorgancutlip, 
cut lips like an injury to the lip exactly how it sounds uh dot com <laughs> and um you can see the free gifts right on my header um it's really f- easy to find i have lots of free resources on my home page i have some other ones as well you can grab those there you can find those through my instagram which is also dr morgan cutlip uh and then my book uh love your kids without losing yourself is available wherever you buy books online um i just found out it's going to be in target in november which i'm really excited about uh, so yeah, so I, you can find that through my website too. If you're like, what was the name of that book? Um, you can find it there too. So those are my, those are my spots. <laughs> and we'll link. All Thank you for things. having me. This is such yes, a nice conversation. Absolutely. And we'll link all these things in the show notes so people can find them easily too. So thank you, Dr. Morgan, for being here and for all of your important work. We, we, we really appreciate it as mothers in this world. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today on the HeartStrong Podcast. You know, this podcast is a conversation about how we can create healthy and fulfilling lives by growing through our inevitable challenges. So if one of these episodes has spoken to you, will you help spread the word by subscribing, leaving a review and sharing it with a friend? I know your time is precious. So thank you for sharing it with me today. And just a reminder before I go, your life and your story have great purpose. Don't you forget it. I'll talk to you soon.